little slide there on the bottom. You got that? So bring that up, please. And um, we want to uh, open it Acts chapter 8. And um, take a look at it. And it really, uh, Acts chapter 8 revolves around four men. And what we're going to do for a little exercise, hope to make it a little interactive. Even the Zoomers can help us at home, right? If we, as we go through this, uh, we're going to look at it this way. So Brother Eric's going to come up in a minute here to read chapter 8 here into the microphone nice and loud so all of us and all of our Zoomers can hear. And what we want to do is, wow, how'd you do that? Okay. Whatever looks best, right? So what we're going to do is have all of us, right, as Eric is reading, I'm not putting the verses there. So what you do is as we're reading and when when he's done, I'm going to have you all fill in the verses, right? We know we start at verse 1 and we know we end at verse number 40. So in, this is wonderful, what a show here, a zealous persecutor a faithful preacher, a clever deceiver, and a concerned seeker. We're going to try to learn lessons from each of these. Thank you, Jason, for all of that effort there. So, uh, Brother Eric, if you could come on up and read for us, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do the first part of our, our, our task here, is to see if we can find out what verses go where. Yeah, look, get that microphone and read nice and loud. Check. Acts chapter 8. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men, women, excuse me, off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed. Excuse me. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, um, Excuse me, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached these things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, 
they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on the apostles, excuse me, that the, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go forward, uh, excuse me, arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem for worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading uh, uh, the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you were reading? Then he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture he, which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at the scripture, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Thank you, Eric. <clears throat> okay, let's see. We're going to start with the young ones here. We'll skip the old ones for right now. A zealous persecutor. I'll give you a hint. It starts at verse 1. Where does that end? It's not on my face. It's in the Bible. Look, 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 look. 1 starts at... Start with... Come on, we can, we can do it. We can do it. Verse, where does it end? The zealous persecutor. Who's persecuting? Ah, ah there you go, oh, Olivia. Ah, 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 very good. 
For those that could not hear, verse 3, 1 through 3, that's the zealous persecutor. Okay, now we're going to talk about a faithful preacher. Where does that start and where does that end? We'll open up to anybody now. You can put up your fingers even if you don't want to say it. Oh, I, did, I, I just gave you a hint. Uh, what was that, Violet? Whoa, very good. Did you hear her? Four through eight. Excellent. The faithful preacher is found in four through eight. Are you looking at my outline? Okay, then we have a clever deceiver. Where does that start? A clever deceiver. Nine, I heard. Nine. Where does it end? Where does they, the clip, up, up. Eleven? Wait, we, we started at, where am I? Uh, we started at verse number nine. Now the clever, the story of the clever deceiver. Where does that end? I, I, you said eleven. Did you, Dad, uh, Olivia? Look again now, look again. Um, what is it? 13? Okay. Uh, well, uh, does his story continue? Let me ask that beyond 13. Does his story continue? Ah, I see it. Yes, yes, yes. In case you didn't see it, 2, 5. 2, well, 2, 5. There we go. 9 through 25 is the clever deceiver. That's the whole story of the clever deceiver. We want to learn from each of these. Now, the concerned seeker. Well, if it ended at 25, where does it start? 26. And where does it end? 40. Very good. Okay. Excellent. Let's just think about these events. Now, before we look at the four men and and learn some lessons, I just want to make a few uh, points here about the Acts of the Apostles, right? Some of it, most of this we'll probably be familiar with, but it's good to remind ourselves. Now, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the Lord Jesus. He came to give his life. We've just celebrated that in the Lord's Supper, right? When, when, when the Lord Jesus came from heaven, he came to give his life. In Acts, that's the, the historical book that we're in right now, the Lord Jesus came to live his life through his own people. Isn't that remarkable? He rose from the dead in the Gospels, and now he's come to live his life through his own people. Acts is a... Also, another point about Acts is a, is a transitional book. A transitional book. Uh, we, we see... Essentially, what we see is the trauma of transition from the Jew to the church to the new priests uh, and the temple and so forth. We're going to refer to some of that as we go through this. So just a, a few points about we could go on. There's many others that we could uh, examine, but I just want to get into these four men. So let's think about uh, Acts chapter 8, the, uh, the zealous persecutor. Okay, so let's think about the two words, zealous, zeal, and persecuting, right? Zeal. That's sincerity, devotion, uh, determination. Paul or Saul here was zealous for God, right? He oftentimes in the Bible, in Acts and, and throughout the New Testament, he is called upon to give his testimony. And he says, I was 
zealous for God. Now think about this. I was zealous. I was sincere. I was determined. I was devoted for God. He says in verse Galatians, I was excessively zealous, excessively zealous above the tradition, about the tradition of my fathers. I was more zealous than all of my uh, 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 partners. But the zeal, the devotion that he had was for persecuting the church, Philippians chapter 3. He actually says, as in another point where he gave his testimony, I thought, I thought within myself that I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So think about this. Paul was zealous. He was devoted. He was determined. He was sincere, but sincerely mistaken. Now, this is a good key for all of us to get a hold of because... You know, we live in a world that we were surrounded by folks that are very sincere, right? Very sincere in what they believe. But it wasn't according to knowledge. Paul says in Romans 10, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Okay, so zeal is a good thing. So I'd ask, what are you zealous for? What am I zealous for? What are you devoted to? What are you determined? Where's your sincerity? Does it lie in truth? Does it lie in uh, according to knowledge of the word of God. And then he was a persecutor. A zealous persecutor was this Saul of Tarsus, right? I persecuted this way to the death, he said later. Again, often called upon to share his testimony. And this is what he said as he stood before an audience. Listen, this is what I did. I persecuted this way to the death. He could say this in another portion. Uh, Lord, they know that in every synagogue... I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. Now think about that for a minute. It's kind of a side note. Here he went from synagogue to synagogue. Not from church to church. From synagogue to synagogue. Hey, do you believe on Jesus? Hey, do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? And it says, I persecuted. I, I beat them. I imprisoned them. Those who believe on you. Can you imagine if you were in a synagogue? Remember, this is a transition book. It's not in a church, so to speak. Yes, it was a gathered company, but it says every synagogue, right? So evidently they met in synagogues for a while, right? And here comes, can you imagine you're sitting in the synagogue, one day Saul of Tarsus appears. Oh, no. And, and you were going to hear, hear next week, Ananias, he said, oh, I've heard about this man. I've heard about this man. So can you imagine you're sitting in the, in the synagogue? Uh-oh, here comes Saul. He's going to ask me if I believed on Jesus. And what's going to happen? Awful, awful. He calls himself a persecutor as he writes in First Timothy chapter 1, I was a blasphemer, I was persecutor. But thankfully, there's another chapter to Saul's life, right? It's really remarkable that the man that was basically a terrorist toward believers wrote much of our New Testament, right? Remarkable. So thankfully, he was converted. He went from adversary to ally, right? From com compelling Christians to comforting Christians. And as one good brother wrote <clears throat> or said, he's the great antagonist to the great protagonist of the gospel. Now, I just want to make one little short note about the conversion of Saul. I know it's taking away from next week, but this has always kind of bothered me. I don't know if it's bothered you. I want to think just for one minute about the conversion of this awful, of this zealous persecutor. He, it, 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 it says in Acts chapter nine that there was this, there was this, uh, remarkable event, right? That, that a light from heaven shone 
And, and, and Saul of Tarsus was able to look up and, 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 and realize who it was that spoke to him and he was converted right there. And I, this is what bothers me sometimes. I, I, I think of some people that probably are as bad as Saul, but yet they remain in their sins. And I ask myself, is it, it this, this is just what I think in my mind, is it right? Does God give every person that same light? Can you think of individuals that are not saved and that are just, they're antagonistic to the gospel? And you wonder, does, can God give that person the same light? Well, you know, I just used the balance of Scripture to answer my own question. God gives light to every man, every individual, John 1, 9. Uh, to those that are in darkness, the great light has appeared. I am assured, according to the word of God, that he hath brought life and light to immortality through the gospel. So if I think of my neighbor that is distant from God, he may not be a zealous persecutor, but he wants nothing to do with God. Does God give that person the same kind of experience that he did for Saul? That I say, yes, he has. Maybe, maybe not to the same, same degree, but God gives light to everyone. You know what the problem is? Men, mankind, love darkness rather than light. So that comforts me to know that there's a lot of souls in the world that will not turn to the light because men love darkness rather than light. So enough of that about the conversion of Saul. Then we have a faithful preacher. Thank you. Four through eight, a faithful preacher. Philip. Uh, first of all, there was there was this persecution, right? We read about it in verse 1. We're reading about it in verse 4. We're starting here. The persecution, someone has wrote, does to the church what wind does to seed. It scatters and it only produces a greater harvest, right? So so it, it, that's what happens with seed. That's what happens here with believers, right? They were scattered abroad. And what came out of that? Philip, right? Philip went down to Samaria. Now, if you would like a simplified outline, because we read about Samaria here, a simplified outline of the whole of Acts 28 chapters, you take it from Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, out of the othermost parts of the earth. In chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 7, we have Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through chapters 12, our chapter here through chapter 12, that's Judea and Samaria. And then in verse or chapter 13 through the end of Acts, you have the uttermost parts of the earth. Paul later could say, or the remotest parts of the earth, Paul later could say in Colossians that the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven. That's remarkable. Think about that. So a simplified outline, if you want, of, of Acts, how the gospel was to go abroad. Jerusalem, chapter 1 through 7, Judea and Samaria, 8 through 12. If you were to look it up, you'd see Judea and Samaria mentioned a number of times in those chapters. And then <clears throat> the remotest parts of the earth, 13 through 28. Now, Philip, verse 5, God directed him to Samaria to evangelize an area that he had uh, that he had previously said, don't go there, right? Don't go, Matthew chapter 10. When he's talking to the apostles, he said, don't go to Samaria. Only go to the Jews. Don't go there. Don't stop in the way of Samaria. Uh, it was prohibited. But now, 
We understand from the Gospels that John the Baptist ministered there, and so did the Lord. Remember the Samaritan woman, right? He went to Samaria. So now Philip would enter into the labors of those that had gone before, specifically John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus. So what did Philip do? What does it say? He went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Now watch this. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which he spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now miracles, yes, we can't deny. There are miracles. He did them. <laughs> Think of this. He was once a servant serving tables. Now he's doing all this for the Lord, right? But the, the fact is that what happened is the emphasis is on the word of God, right? He did the miracles, right? They were, they were amazed at that. But what, what the focus seems to be the word of God, they gave attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs. So they gave heed to the word because they saw the miracles. And by believing the word, they, well, believing the word we get from verse number 12, and that we have to go beyond our little uh, section here. They believed the word and they were saved. And it's good to point out, yes, there are miracles then, but nobody was ever saved by miracles, right? John chapter 2, other places, the, the, though he had done so many miracles, yet they believed not. Sometimes they jump on a bandwagon and say, yeah, I believe, it, uh, John 2. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. He didn't believe in them. They were just uh, happy to jump on the miracle bandwagon. So that's what the faithful preacher did. There, we understood from verse 1 there was... Uh, great persecution. The persecution continues here. But look at what happens when he preached the word. There was great joy, right? What a, what a, what a contrast, right? There was great uh, persecution, but yet there was great joy. And that seems to be emphasized by Luke. And he wrote, by the way, Paul did write most of the, or much of the New Testament, but Luke was pretty close. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke and and as I understand it, <clears throat> Acts of the Apostles. But in, in, in all of those, both of those books, he emphasizes joy. There should be the joy of salvation, right? From the beginning of Luke, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That was the message from heaven to the shepherds, right? I bring you good tidings of great joy, right? There is joy in the presence of God over one sinner that repents, Luke records about in chapter number 15, and here in our chapter, and on through Acts, there's a number of references to joy. No wonder they heard the gospel. They believed there was joy. The Bible says, now this is good for us to know, there's joy and peace in believing, Romans chapter 15. Joy and peace in believing. Taking God at his word through the faithful preacher. <laughs> Philip became the faithful preacher. And it causes me causes you to ask, what do you believe, right? What do you believe? What do I believe? <clears throat> Later in Acts, we're going to read about a shipwreck or a, a, that, that took place. And before the shipwrecked, Paul admonished them to, through the Spirit that they should not depart from that certain harbor they was in. But what happened was there, they didn't pay attention. The centurion paid more attention to the captain and the owner of the ship than what Paul said. That causes you to, and me to ask, what do I believe? What do I place more value in? You know, we live in an age of information, right? 
And, and sometimes, you know, we can do exactly what that, that, that crew did. They did not believe the man of God. Now, Philip in Samaria, they believed him, right? But this age of information, right? It causes us, me and it causes you. What do I believe? I read of a, a, a buzzword, buzzword that has come up uh, in this event that we're passing through now called infodemic. Rhymes with pandemic, infodemic. In other words, the avalanche of false information that comes across that causes folks to, to get all scared and run in fear, right? And it seems as if that, some of it very much has been established as fake news. It spreads like a virus. Go talk about going viral. It's gone viral and it's more contagious, right? Did you hear? Did you hear what they say, what they say, what they say? Right? What do we believe? The people of Samaria were entrenched in darkness. We're going to see in a minute here about that clever deceiver. Right? They were entrenched in the darkness, but they believed the word of God. And I, I would challenge you and I would challenge me in this information age to not get, to not get caught up in the infodemic that, that is out there, uh, but to take God at his word. I was listening to a brother the other day. And this is what he pointed out. I, I, it's just something simple thought. I never thought of it. But everyone, every individual, every person, in a sense, lives by faith, right? Uh, they believe the doc- we believe the doctors. We believe the scientists. We believe, you know, they say. That's a famous word. They say. They say. Oh, well, they say this and they say that. Oh, well, I better, I better, I better believe it. So we put a lot of stock in, in, in something that really is invisible, we can't see it. We can see the effect of the virus, but they put a lot of stock in what they say. So we, we, we believe it. There again, we're believing something more than what we're believing uh, God has to say. It's far easier, isn't it, to, 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 to take, take our faith, put our faith in the living God. Yeah, we can't see him, but we thank him for his word that is conveyed to us. Happy is that people whose God is the Lord taking God is at his word. Faith is just believing. Here's the faithful preacher. Here's the individuals that heard. Faith is just believing what God says he will do. Paul says, I believe it, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. So there was not only great joy through believing uh, there that we read, but the faith, uh, the faithful preacher encountered a fake. Let's talk about him, the clever deceiver. Yes, there were those that responded to the faithful preacher, but there was one. He was a deceiver, right? Now, let me, let's look at this in verse number 13. What does it mean? Look at it. Simon believed. What does it mean? Simon believed. Well, we could ask, what was the basis of his faith, right? What was the basis of his faith? Was his faith in the word of God? Or was his faith in the miracles which he saw Philip perform. Is there any indication in the passage that Simon repented of his sins? Well, there's a far different response at the end of the chapter. We'll get to that concerned seeker. There's a far different response between him and Simon here. Now, this is a good question. What did he believe? Because it's good to think about this because in the previous book of John... Remember, John was written, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you might have life through his name. But John also records many believers 
that did not were not uh, were not converted. Did you know that? We referred to one in John chapter two when they saw his miracles. They many believed in his name, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. Jesus didn't believe in them because he knew what was in man. John chapter eight. Um, Many believed on him and the Lord turned to the, he turned to believers and he said, if you continue in my word, then you are my, uh, my disciples indeed. Now, this is a very key part here because there are many individuals, maybe family members, maybe friends, uh, maybe even church members. I believe. I believe. Now, thank the Lord. The Lord knows them that are his. But. Woe betide the individual like Simon that says, I believe. And there was never that, that connection, that regeneration that, that took place. Now think about Simon. Uh, this real life story here shows how close a person can come to salvation and not be converted. Scary, right? Simon heard the gospel. What? Look at it. Simon saw the miracles. He gave a profession of faith in Christ. Oftentimes when we're talking to people uh, and we're saying, you know, what about this person? Well, back in 1948, they made a profession. They signed a card. Well, professions never saved anyone, right? Only the Lord Jesus saves, right? So he made a profession. He was baptized. Oftentimes when we ask people, are you a believer? Oh, I was baptized. They're counting they're resting their, 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 their assurance on the fact that I was baptized. Look, I, I had one recently. She brought out her certificate for me. She said, you want to see it? I said, well, not really, but she brought it the next day. And, and here it was. I could see it. She was very sincere. Now, I'm, again, the Lord knows them that are his. But he, she brought me the certificate so I could see it. Here, here. Look, look, look. I'm, 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 baptized. I'm baptized. I'm a believer. <clears throat> Simon, uh, but Simon was never born again, right? More interested in the signs, but not the Savior. Here was a clever counterfeit. And if Peter did not expose the wickedness of his heart, he would have gone right into that Samaritan church. By the way, have you ever thought about, uh, there, there was a church, there was churches in Samaria. Next chapter will tell us. It doesn't so, so much tell us here, but many believed. And uh, Peter was able to uh, determine that Simon, that Simon was a fake. Now, of course, behind all this is the master counterfeiter, Satan, right? We read that in a number of places. Satan had tried money in Acts chapter 5 to infiltrate and, and the, 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 the church and stop the, 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 the progress. In the case of Ananias and Sapphira, he tried money. In, in, uh, he tried murder last week with Stephen. He tried to, let's get rid of this guy, right? Let's stone him. He tried murder. And here he's going to try mimicry. I'll imp- I have a fake here. He believed. He was baptized, right? But he was not converted. Now, it's this passage actually that gives us, uh, is, is the, is the root. Uh, of the word simony. We don't really use it much, but if you look it up in church history, it means the buying and selling of church offices or privileges. It's not very common in our day, but it's commonly recognized in church history, primarily the Catholic church, simony. Now, there's an important note here that the Samaritans 
did not, this, watch this, they did not receive the Holy Spirit when they believed. What became necessary was Peter and John to come down from Jerusalem, right? It says that in our passage here, they came down uh, from uh, Jerusalem and put their hands on the converts to impart to them the gift of the Spirit. Why is that? That's an unusual thing for us. Remember, Acts is a transition book. I believe the only answer to that is God wanted to unite the Samaritan believers with the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Not to have a, 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 a split congregation, as it were, like it was already. The Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, right? But now there was this uniting in Christ, right? Uh, he did not want the two churches that would perpetuate that division and conflict that had been going on for centuries. Think also the Lord Jesus had given Peter... The keys of the kingdom of heaven, Matthew chapter 16, right? Peter had the privilege of opening the door of faith to various individuals. And uh, he opened the door of, of faith to the Jews at Pentecost. He opened the door of faith to the Samaritans. And then in our chapter, or the next chapter, uh, chapter uh, 10, after chapter number 9, he opened the door of faith to Cornelius and the Gentiles. But I think we can safely say here that what was, what occurred, right, which a lot of modern or uh, what we could say Pentecostal or charismatic churches would, would, would a- actually practice this, what, what is seen here in this transition book. But that is not the, the uh, order of events in our day and age. God's pattern is the center. Here's the gospel, like we're going to see later. They hear the gospel, they believe, they receive the gift of the Spirit, and then... They are baptized. Hopefully, we can discuss perhaps that in our small groups tomorrow night because I know it's a a, uh, relative practice. Now, the concerned seeker. The concerned seeker. Here's an Ethiopian, right? Verse number 26. He's a high-ranking officer. He's representative of many people today who are religious. They read the Scriptures. They're seeking the truth, yet they don't have the saving faith of Christ. Now, that's before when he went, right? He's on his way. He's going. He probably wasn't by himself either. He probably had an entourage of individuals right with him. He was very sincere. But as yet there, there was no faith in the risen Lord. So what happens here? The Spirit said to Philip, hey, go meet this guy. So what happened? The Ethiopian was focused on Isaiah, right? He was focused on the prophet Isaiah. Somehow, think about this, he had obtained a Bible or part of the Bible when he went to worship. We'll look at that in a minute. When he went to worship in Jerusalem, somehow he obtained a Bible or part of a Bible, and somehow Philip expounded to him the meaning of that verse. How did Philip do that? Philip was just a, a lowly servant of, of a table. Now, it, you know, the Bible doesn't fill in all the details. But think about this, that the apostles, remember the two on the road to Emmaus? The Lord opened up in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In Acts chapter 1, he was with them 40 days, uh, uh, teaching the things of, concerning the kingdom of God. Philip had to be there and to, to, to hear what had happened. He soaked it in. 
Sometimes I look and wonder as I, I look around at the, at the family of Christ and see how God has worked in each individual's life. You know, nothing, uh, no, no fanfare about them, but just the, the, the silent work of the Spirit of God as Philip took it in, right? And he was able to expound from Isaiah 53. As far as I know, this is the first sermon uh, recorded on Isaiah chapter 53. And what happened? What happened when he, when he heard about the uh, exposition of chapter 53. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. He was exposed to the word of God. And at that point, he was evidently converted. Now, I know if uh, <clears throat> he, because he believed and was baptized, uh, some of the, the uh, translations do not record verse 37, but nevertheless, it's it's consistent, right, with, with the rest of the scripture that, uh, he asked to be baptized, and you just don't be—you don't just baptize anybody, right? You must—you must be a believer. Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. God has raised him from the dead. That must come first before uh, baptism. The, uh, is it First Corinthians? No, the Corinthian church in Acts 18. They heard the word, they believed the word, and then they were baptized. So that seems to be the order here. Now, there's an interesting note in this little neighborhood of Acts. An interesting note here in this little neighborhood between Acts chapter 8, which we're into this morning, and Acts chapter 10. 8, 9, and 10. This, this is a, perhaps you know this, but it, it, it really was helpful to me to get a hold of. That the Holy Spirit is reaching out to all the world, right? The Holy Spirit in Acts, uh, go in, uh, we, we got the end of the Gospels, go into all the world. We got Acts 1, 8, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria the remotest parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit is wants to, to, to get this gospel message out to all the world. And so what we have here in this little neighborhood of Acts 9, 8, 9, and 10 is, uh, you'd have to go back to Genesis 10 to see it, but if you go back and trace our family tree, right, the whole world was divided by those three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Right? That's what Genesis chapter 10 says. Out of these, the three sons, the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. So God wants the whole world. We're going to see it here in a minute. God wants the whole world and all of their descendants to hear the message of the gospel. So in Acts chapter 8, we have the Ethiopian. He is a descendant of Ham. Genesis chapter 10. Cush refers to Ethiopia. Cush was the first son of Ham. So there we have God reaching out to the uh, uh, to Ham, the Ethiopian. Then in Acts chapter 9, we have a descendant of Shem, right? That's Saul of Tarsus. He was in the line of, of, of the Jew, right? Abraham and so forth. We, we, can, we could trace him all the way back to Shem if we uh, took the time uh, uh, to do that. Uh, at Genesis, again, Genesis chapter 10 and verse 21 following tell us that the Semitic people were descendants of Shem. And Abraham and ultimately Israel are Shemites according to First Chronicles chapter 1. Then in Acts chapter 10, we have the Gentiles that find Christ and they were descendants of Japheth. Shem, Ham, Japheth. Japheth, according to Genesis chapter 10, is uh, 
divided from them the Isle of the Gentiles, right? So to me, it's remarkable there that in our little neighborhood here of Acts, you have the, the uh, effect of the gospel going out to representatives of everyone in the world. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all uh, of which the whole world was divided. If we could trace back our family tree, of course, right? We'd go back somewhere to one of them because that's how the whole earth was divided after the flood. Remember, there was nobody left, right? It was a universal flood and nobody left but Noah and his family. And we can trace back. But praise the Lord, he is reaching out, right, to every corner of the world. You know, out of uh, <clears throat> Revelation, is it Revelation chapter 5? Part of that praise song, that new song, he has redeemed us out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So, Praise the Lord for the word of God and the spirit of God that are revealed in this chapter. Number eight, we have the zealous persecutor, right? One through three. He went on to become the zealous preacher or teacher, right? He didn't stay a zealous persecutor, right? He went on right after he was converted to become. This is good because, it, you know, once there's a conversion in our life, there should be growth. There should be advancement, right? Well, he went on to become not the zealous persecutor, but the zealous preacher or teacher. Then the faithful preacher, Philip, right? He moved on in Acts to become Philip the evangelist, Acts chapter 21, right? Is there progress in your life? Is there progress in mine, right? That he went on. He was willing. To look at Philip. He was willing to serve tables. He was willing to, to hear the Spirit's voice and go to speak to one individual and, and see him converted. And then he was caught away, right? He was caught away and, and, um, and became Philip the evangelist. And then the clever deceiver. He, now it's not really much evidence, but he seemingly went on in his bondage of iniquity. And, and the probability is, like many other sinners, he did not pray for himself. When Philip, Peter confronted him, he said, pray for me. You know, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart and, would, and, and toward the end of the plagues, he says to Moses, pray for me also. Right. And oftentimes people who will not or stubbornly resist or reject the spirit of God want others to pray. Not them. Not them. Simon did not was not interested in, in, in praying. He um, went on evidently in his uh, the bond of iniquity. And then the concerned seeker, he went on too. what did he do it on? <laughs> this is remarkable to me. It says he went on his way rejoicing. The uh, Young's literal translation translates it like this. For, after all that happened in, in, uh, in the end there, uh, when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, for he went on his way rejoicing. In other words, there was no more need of the messenger. He had the Messiah, right? He didn't need the messenger anymore. He had the Savior. And, and again, there was advancement. He came to worship. Think about this. We're going to close with this. He came to worship. That's what it says in the beginning of the, the concerned secret. He came to worship. Now, what was he going to worship? Who was he going to worship? Right. This is key because in, in John chapter four, the Lord said to the Samaritan woman, you don't know what you worship. Can I tell you this on the basis of the word of God that churches are filled with worshipers? 
go through the motions, right, of worshiping. Oftentimes, music is the medium. I'm worshiping. But there's no connection with the living God, right? He went to worship, but he did find the Savior. And, 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 and now he could be classified as a true worshiper. We're thinking about this concerned seeker that was going on from where he was. He went on his way rejoicing, right? Just one little note about Philip. Philip, that says, was caught away. That's the word, this is a little side note, that's the word, I don't know how to pronounce it, harpazo, same word we get our word, rapture, right? The Philip was raptured away, right? He was raptured away, right? To, to, to go somewhere else, not to heaven, of course, <laughs> but he was raptured away and found at Azotus and so forth and preaching, continuing to preach because he remembered he went on to become the uh, Philip the evangelist. But to think, that this individual, this concerned seeker that came to worship and would have returned empty, right? Oh, yeah, he could have been a part of the crowd and, 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 and went through the motions, right? But praise the Lord, he found the Savior. Paul, when he was at, uh, later in Acts, he, he, he comes to Athens and he sees these altars and he says, you ignorantly worship. And I wanted to say that that's exactly what many do today. They worship in ignorance, having no connection with the living God. Praise the Lord. The concerned seeker was able to find the Savior because of the faithful preacher that brought the, the word of God. The Spirit said, Philip, go join yourself to this chariot. And he did. And he was able to uh, hear and understand the gospel. And he left rejoicing. So there's a lesson for all of us there, right? All of these, right? Progress with the zealous persecutor, with the, with the faithful preacher, with the, uh, concerned, uh, the clever, well, clever deceiver. I hope nobody's here that comes under that category, right? But, and then the, the concerned seeker that, uh, went on his way rejoicing. So praise the Lord that God has put this chapter here for us to see and learn some valuable lessons about how he works. Right. And how people respond as well uh, to what uh, the word of God. Comes. Now, I notice it says he went on his way rejoicing. We're just going to sing one verse before we part. Take the black book. <clears throat> if you still have it, 276, the black book, uh, 276. It, it comes from this very verse here at the end of Acts chapter eight. On our way rejoicing. As we homeward move, hearken to our praises, O thou God of love. Is there grief or sadness? Thou our joy shalt be. Is our sky beclouded? Light is found in thee. Remember, that, that individual, that Ethiopian, he went to worship. He was concerned, right? And praise the Lord, he found the Savior. And now there's an effect. And there should be an effect for you and I as we, as we have connected with the Savior and we go on our way rejoicing. Let's stand as we sing 276.